and welcome to the Product Science Podcast, where we're helping startup founders and product leaders build high-growth products, teams, and companies through real conversations with people who have tried it and aren't afraid to share lessons learned from their failures along the way. I'm your host, Holly Hester Riley, founder and CEO of H2R Product Science. In this week's episode, I sat down with Saeed Khan, a thought leader and thought provoker for over 25 years working in high tech. He is a co-founder of Transformation Labs, which you can find at transformationlabs.io, an advisory firm that helps companies harness innovation, product management, and product marketing to drive growth and market success. Now, here's our conversation. Welcome, Saeed, to the Product Science Podcast. I'm super excited to have you. And um, for us to get started, I'd love if you could share a little bit about your own uh, journey through product management and, and what you do today. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Holly. And I'm, I'm glad to be here as well. Um, in terms of my journey, well, uh, I started in product management over 20 years ago. Um, I think back then, you know, it was the olden days. It was the early days of the internet. And um, people didn't know what a product manager was, right? And so when when I I was applying for my job, my family said, what, what, what's a job? And I said, well, it's a product manager at a software company. I'm like, what, what is that? And I had to explain it. And people were like, you know, oh, is, you mean a project manager? Well, no. Oh, what do you do? And, and and it was funny because I knew what a product manager was, but very few other people didn't. And now you look 20 years later, not only does everyone want to be a product manager, but everyone thinks they know what product management is, mm-hmm. even though in reality still many people don't. So <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's been an interesting journey. And um, over, the, over those 20 years, I've worked in startups. I've worked in uh, public companies. I spent six years in uh, the Bay Area, working uh, there, arrived I think the week before the dot com bust, which wasn't a good time to arrive, but uh, things turned out well. Um, <laughs> and then for the last ten years, twelve years actually, I've been back here in Toronto, which is my hometown. Mm-hmm. One of the things for that 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 I think makes me think is um, is a lot of people I think we still have that experience and maybe it has to do with whether we're talking to our peers or our parents or our grandparents. Um, but, you know, I think we still have experiences in our life where we go and, and there's people who have no idea what it is. And, and uh, you know, having somebody say, Oh no, you must be a project manager. It's, it's like a rite of passage. So um, tell us a little more about what you're up to these days. And, you know, when you came back to Toronto, um, are there, uh, are you working in, what, what kind of size companies are you working with and what kind of prod- products are you working on? Um, yeah, so I came back, like I said, 12 years ago, uh, worked in a couple of startups here in Toronto. Uh, one was an interesting startup called Platespin, uh, which was, had software to manage virtualized servers. Uh, that company got bought by Novell, which no longer exists. I was actually surprised Novell still existed when they acquired us, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> my manager, my manager came to me and he said, uh, "Hey, Sai, come into my office. I have some news." And I said, oh, yeah, "Sure." What, what? And he said, um, "We're going to get acquired. I just want to let you know that uh, the announcement's going to come up tomorrow." I said, "Oh, wow, that's great." And he goes, "Take a guess who?" And uh, I'm kind of thinking, "Wow, who could have acquired us?" And I named all these companies, you know, sort of all the big players at the time, and then the second tier players, and then what I thought were the third tier players. And he kept looking at me, going, "No, no, 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 no." And I said, I'd give up. And he goes, Novell. And I looked at him and go, the networking guys? <laughs> <laughs> so it was just funny. Like, yeah, they company got a card of Novell. I didn't know they had a whole 
enterprise software arm. Um, but yeah, that was interesting acquisition. Uh, some some interesting uh, things working with a company not based in a high tech center like California or in Austin or Boston, but you know they were based in Utah, so they had a kind of a very unique culture. Um, I left from from there, went to a startup, sort of a software company here in Toronto that did uh, uh, network management software, and then I went to back to a company I worked at in California called Informatic, and I spent uh, quite a, a while there. And then a couple of years ago, I left and um, thought, okay, you know, I've been doing this for twenty years. Maybe it's time to take all that experience that I have over these twenty years and start applying it, you know. for my own benefit, not just for a company's benefit. So I've been doing consulting for the last couple of years, working with um, actually quite a wide range of companies, uh, a number of startups, but then uh, a number of medium-sized companies and then a couple of larger companies as well, and really kind of helping them uh, address various aspects of their product uh, processes. So um, everything from introducing new product management to smaller companies to fixing product management in in medium-sized companies uh, to helping with things like messaging, new product research, et cetera. So sort of taking that 20 years experience and, and the bits and pieces that I, I learned and then now helping other companies benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. So it sounds like you've gotten a, a, a big range of experiences and projects hopefully keeps you interested in what you're up to. It, 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 I'll just say that some people ask me like, Hey, how's it going? How's the, the, the business going? And, and the one, the one, that always comes to mind is it's so intellectually satisfying that mm-hmm. I'm working on new problems all the time and thinking about new things and I'm learning a lot. Uh, we did some work for a company that has software for manufacturers and I don't have a manufacturing background and, you know, it's, there's a bit of imposter syndrome because you can't just tell, well, I've never done anything in manufacturing, but the principles all apply, but I had to learn some domain knowledge about manufacturing. And so now mm-hmm. I feel really good because not I'm not an expert in manufacturing, but I know enough about it that uh, it makes sense to me. And their problems and their their challenges, I can map to things that uh, I'm I'm more in tune with. Yeah. So, uh, what are some of the things that you started to see now that you? Um, have gone a bit wider. Um, I think sometimes when I talk to people who, you know, had a career working for a company and then another company and then another company, and then they go out and start um, consulting, they start seeing a wider range of things. And sometimes from that come lessons. Um, what are some of the, the things that stand out for you that um, that you see patterns or, or um, principles? Um, so it, it's interesting the, the the patterns that I'm seeing now are kind of strange in the sense that if I look back 20 years and sort of the problems we had when I started, uh, I would have I would have assumed that in 20 years there's some maturity and structure and discipline that's come in and and in a certain level it has you know there's a lot of things we did to that we didn't do 20 years ago but but there's still a lot of dysfunction a lot of disorganization and a lot of ad hoc work being done. Um, and so, you know, if I was to look at things, have things matured in, you know, 20 odd years, it's yes and no. And and um, I think some of the more disciplined companies are really making progress, but there are a lot of the new startups, you see the same patterns all over again, where um, actually I was talking to a friend of mine and she works in the startup here in Toronto. 
and she they're trying to identify some new products and things and and they're they they've taken this sort of uh, she didn't use these words but I'll call it the lean startup approach which is you know build it's 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 not quite lean startup because it's not build measure learn even it's build promote and you know <laughs> try and try and market yes <laughs> skip the learning go straight to the build small things push out to market yeah yeah but I, even the build part troubles me because you know before you build anything you probably should go learn something first you know it yes. Be, it should be learn, understand, and then build. It shouldn't yep. be build, you know, first. Anyway, um, and 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 she she's kind of a really good sort of product manager, and she wants to do some core research and understand some problems before building something and trying to market it and sell it. And she's having a tough time uh, sort of convincing her management that that's a better approach. So I think th- that those are the kinds of problems that still exist, you know. And I think it's exacerbated not just by the sort of, you know, I won't blame lean startup, but that kind of mindset, like build first, then, you know, do other stuff. But I think it, it also because it's never been easier to build something, right? Yeah. I mean, the amount of effort to build products or, you know, uh, prototypes or whatever uh, is, is orders of magnitude less than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that investment is small. So people say, yeah, sure. And then there's a bit of a mindset that you have to build some before you can learn. And, and that kind of uh, complicates it. So yeah. I, think, I think that part of the, um, the industry is still very immature. Uh, there, there's a quote and I, I, I forget how it goes exactly. So uh, I'll try and paraphrase it, but it's, you know, we, we never have time to do it right, but we always have to find time to do it over. You know. Oh, I yeah. haven't heard that phrase before, but that sounds very correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I read it a while ago, and I, I, I've always searched for it was really well articulated, and I didn't, you know, I tried to do a good job there. But you get the meaning of it, right, which is absolutely go, 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 get it done, get it done. Oh, we didn't do it right. Okay, now let's go back and fix it. And, and it's sort of if you spent that time up front investigating, learning, understanding, you wouldn't have to go back and fix it, and you'd be ahead of the game. Um, and I, th- I think that mindset really needs to uh, come into play. And, and I think there, it's really important because uh, because software can be built so quickly and because these things can be taken to market so quickly, I think it's even more incumbent on companies to go and do that initial homework first because it's it's a false sense of speed you know, or velocity or whatever term you want to use that people have, oh, if we don't get out right away, We'll, we'll be late to market. And the reality is that extra little time, and, and it's also easier to research than it ever was before. Like how, do we get, how do we get you know, contact with people? I remember doing this stuff 20 years ago, and we didn't have the kind of means to communicate and, and, and connect with people then, and so it was hard. It, I spent one whole quarter, which isn't really a long time, but I spent one whole quarter just doing basic research on data migration you know, over a dozen mm-hmm. years ago. Um, I think if we did that again today, and, and that wasn't even the end of it, but if we did that again today, I could probably do it in half the time uh, or less. Yeah. And so, so I think I think I think that's the thing that we really need to understand. Because if someone else can research and figure something out quickly, and then build the right thing, where does that leave me, who's struggling and iterating and trying to, you know, sort of move my way forward uh, a bit at a time? And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's uh, I, I just find that to be a bit of a a challenge when we when I talk to people because this mindset of build 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 is so ingrained. 
Yeah, I see the same thing. Um, and one thing that I love about what you just said is um, I think there's a lot more attention placed on the fact that we can build things so much faster and cheaper than ever before and not enough attention placed on the fact that that also means we can research so much faster and cheaper than ever before. Yes. yes. I I just uh, recently was with a you know an enterprise market insights uh, um, person, and uh, you know I remember hearing them talk about ways that we could go and test things and um, talking about things that that would be fast to them, fast compared to what they their company was doing five years ago, but still aren't as fast as what I see in in the research driven startups. And yeah. um and I think that's a pattern I see a lot where they just don't even know what tools have been developed and how fast we can do it now. Yeah. And, and I'll just say this, and, and, and I'm not criticizing your last sentence, but, you know, fast and speed and all these words, I, I think the, the emphasis on them, um, I think there's an overemphasis on them in the sense that, yes, it, it, it's good to move quickly. It's, there's, you know, especially if your competitors are, but um, you don't have to put speed at the forefront of, of what you're doing. I think it's really like, Quite honestly, if you're building a product that's going to last for 10 years, you know, hopefully it lasts for 10 years. But if you're going to build a product that's going to have some legs to it and last for some period of time, an extra few months of really understanding what you're doing and sort of getting the right direction and so on isn't isn't meaningful. It, it doesn't matter in the long run. Like you can do it and it's not going to, you know, if you look back three years later, you go, oh, was that month wasted or was this couple of months wasted? No. Because the things that will change over time are are going to factor in. So it's it's the way I look at it is like, you know, if you're building a house, you can build a house quickly. But if you don't build a solid foundation, uh, you're going to have problems later on, mm-hmm. right? Because you want that house to last. And 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 that initial understanding and contextual knowledge and and the basis for what you're doing to me is equivalent to that foundation. And if you start out right and you start out with a strong foundation for what you're going to do then that carries forward. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, so I'm curious if you have any examples from your time where uh, a team that you worked with or um, know of um, did build a fantastic foundation. And, and can you tell us more about what that looked like and, and how they did it? Um, so I'll use a story from my own experience. Um, and, and it's interesting because it was a bit of uh, it was a bit of deja vu. So it, it, it involves my time at, at Informatica when I worked there. I worked there from 2000 till 2006 in California, and then I, I left and then I rejoined them based here in Toronto in 2009. And in around 2005, um, I one of the products I was responsible for at Informatica was uh, a data profiling product, which really, uh, for those who don't know what beta data profiling is, it's really analysis of data to understand characteristics of the data in terms of patterns in the data, uh, errors in the data, things like that, you know, out, outlying values, etc. And so anyone who's working with data in some way or trying to analyze it will probably profile it up front to understand the characteristics before they dig into it. And we had, I think, you know, at the time it was very early in the, in the market for these kind of products. We had a pretty good product and we built it in-house from scratch and and uh, it was doing okay in the market. Um, but I was always getting these requests from, from the customers. And these customers were enterprise customers who were looking at data migra- uh, data uh, management and data integration. They're always asking about, well, 
I know profiling is meant for early analysis, but after I move the data, you know, how could I use it for that? Do you have some tool for for analyzing what what I've done and making sure what I've done is correct? And, you know, at the time, it, it was that to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I said, oh, yeah, you could profile the data afterwards and see what it is. And, you know, I, I just kind of, I didn't really think it through. And what was funny was uh, they were asking actually a different question than my answer because they weren't saying, oh, can I actually use the profiling tool there? They said, well, there's this other kind of analysis I want to do. Can you help us with that? But I didn't think Mm -hmm. of it that way. And then I left the company, you know, a year later and I moved to Canada. And then when I rejoined in 2009, uh, the first thing I I worked on was uh, they, they said, look, we have a, a partner company uh, who's built this product for something called data validation. And, uh, you know, we'd like you to kind of work with them and see if you can help us build a market, understand what's going on there. I said, yeah, sure. And so when I spoke to them, I, I you know, I, I they gave me a web, WebEx and told me what their product was. I, and they said, yeah, so, you know, you guys have this profiling product, but this is really a product meant for after you've moved data and you can verify that what you've done is correct. And, and, and you know, I hadn't really thought about things for those three or four years I was away, but all of a sudden the light bulb went, like, oh, my God, this is the question that people were asking. And these guys understood that mm-hmm. and built something. And And what was really funny was that, Yes, there was similarities in these products. In fact, internally in the company, there was a lot of question like, do we need two profiling products? Like, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so a lot of my a lot of my time internally was spent explaining, no, one is for one thing and it serves a certain purpose. Another is for another thing. It serves a different purpose. Yes, they both read data. They both analyze data, but they're doing very different things. Mm-hmm. And so to make a long story short, we could have sold the profiling product originally to the people and maybe modified a bit to address the use case of validating data afterwards, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't have been successful. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas these guys did it and we end up acquiring the the company and I worked with them and uh, this product grew like gangbusters. And we, we end up um, in a few years having over 250 to 300 enterprise customers using this, which was Mm -hmm. a, a huge success. Yeah. So that, that's an example, I'll say, of really understanding the problem and finding a solution that's fit for purpose. And yep. even though it's, you know, yes, you could have maybe retrofitted something or taken something else and applied it, you, you, you wouldn't have been successful the way this thing was. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to explain why up front. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, you know, I speak from my own experience as a product manager of that original profiling product because I didn't get it. Yeah. But had I kind of pulled myself away back in 2005, I said, wow, there's this question that, you know, it deserves more attention. Mm-hmm. I probably would have gotten it, but it would have taken me a little bit of time. And, and, yeah. and to me, that, 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 when that light bulb went on, when they told me what they did, they went, oh, my God, that's the question from three years ago something else clicked on and said, yeah, that's why you have to understand the customer problem. Yeah. Right. Cause we, we all too, all too often make the assumption that what they're saying is similar to what we know and therefore we'll apply what we know to address what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. That's a really great story. I imagine there, 
there would have been a lot of uh, um, a lot of things going through your mind when you first met them and saw what they were doing those years later. Well, I asked all the same questions. I mean, it's really funny, right? Like I was trying to be open minded, but I said, oh, so how is this how is this different than profiling? Mm-hmm. Right? Because architecturally, they were very similar. And in fact, the irony was one of their slides that they were using, because they've been partnering with, with Informatica, one of the slides they were using was actually a modified slide that I had created for the profiling product years earlier. So, so even internally, awesome. the, the concepts were like, yeah, they're very similar. So, hey, maybe this slide can help you. And, you know, it was just, it was funny. But, 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 but the point there is that, you know, the, 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 the real, uh, the real uh, piece of the puzzle that they had uh, addressed was really hearing that that problem was a different problem, right? It wasn't a variation of the first problem. It really was a different problem. And in fact, I, I spent a lot of the first year or two evangelizing internally why this was a real problem. Right. So it, it wasn't just, hey, we have to go tell customers knew it was a problem. <laughs> In fact, we didn't. Yep. Yeah. And it sounds like you had a, a very human reaction of at first, you know, wanting to be like, but but didn't we cover all of this? And then exactly. as you kind of dive more, you realize, well, actually, there's more here. Yeah. And it was different people. So, you know, it was like different people are doing profiling. They're data analysts or, or data stewards versus QA people or development teams who are actually doing the validation. And then there are, there are other use cases, operational use cases and other things that profiling was involved in. So it was, and in fact, what was interesting, not to belabor this whole profiling story, but the profiling people were seeing validation uh, questions still that many years later. Mm-hmm. And they were hearing it from their profiling customers. And so then they were thinking about, okay, how can we upgrade our, our profiling product to do some of these other use cases. So, so we were, there was some contention internally, but we resolved it. But, you know, even from the customer's point of view, well, yeah, your product sort of solves our problem. Can you adjust it to really solve our problem? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good story. Um, so do you have any specifics? You, you mentioned um, it grew to uh, 250 or 300 enterprise customers. Yeah. Um, I'm always curious to sort of hear the people who were, you know, they had built this product. Did they know, um, did they see that they had something great or how does somebody who's on a team know if, you know, they've found the solution that's growing and is going well, or if they need to keep searching? Um, So I think they knew. So, so it's interesting that, you know, like I said, my first uh, sort of, indications of this problem were back in 2005 and it was in 2009 when I returned and we were working, the company was already working with this partner. And, and I think they had heard the same kinds of messages and signals that I had ignored basically. And, and so they said, no, there, there is something here. So I, I think, I think it was, I mean, when I saw what they had done I, and I understood, you know, how is it different than profiling <laughs> And, and, you know, I understood the use cases and things like that. I got it right away. Like, to me, it was like, oh, my God, this is that thing that I should have, you know, thought about building. And, and, and then it was still an early stage product and all the standard things had to be uh, considered in terms of, you know, connectivity and performance and all that. But, but in terms of addressing a clear use case for a target audience, they had really, you know, found 
uh, and uh, kind of a, a niche. And then that that actually grew over time as as companies realized too that yeah this this tool because by the way companies were doing this validation work but they're doing it manually. I mean that was the other side of it that kind of blew my mind was like wait a minute it's 2009 they're like <laughs> you're still writing SQL by hand and doing all these things that yeah. Know, you know, and, and, and these were large enterprises too. It wasn't just, you know, sort of small companies. So it was, mm-hmm. it was they, they, had, they had really kind of figured it out. Right? Yeah. But yeah. I think their challenge was enterprises weren't open necessarily to buying from tiny companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Enterprises have a different go to market challenge for sure. Absolutely. People selling to them. Yeah. And, and when we partnered with them, you know, they, we, get, we, we lent credibility. And then when we eventually acquired it, suddenly it was, it was so much easier, you know, yeah. oh, it's on Informatica paper. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. I see that kind of thing as well um, from both sides of it, from working with enterprises and coaching them on what tools they should be using and from the startup trying to sell to them. And it, uh, uh, it fasc- fascinates me, but it, you know, it, it is in the enterprise um, credibility and, and stability. And you know, the um, there's that saying, "No one ever got fired for uh, hiring IBM." Yes, um, you know that that is real. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think in in B two B software and enterprise software, that level of credibility. I mean, I saw many other uh, examples of that uh, a similar pattern. There was another small company we we were looking to partner with and we went out and did some research with some large enterprises and I thought they had a fantastic product. I really did. I mean, they had done a really good job. And uh, one, after one meeting, uh, one particular meeting, uh, our main contact there, I did a follow-up with him. And uh, his first question was, when are you guys going to acquire this company? And I said, why? He goes, because we'll buy it from you. We won't buy it from them. Right. And I, and I said, look, I can't, I can't make that decision, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but that was validation that the value was there and the need was mm-hmm. there and so on. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when I think about some of the other things that, that you and I had chatted about before that I wanted to, um, to ask you about here, um, I was wondering if you want to talk a little bit about metrics and um I have uh, I have written down that we talked about product lifecycle metrics, but also um, the importance of process and people metrics. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about um, you know what that means to you? Why you like to talk about it, and and um, how you sort of came to talking about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I think I think from a from a sort of fundamental level, I, 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 I always think in a systems mindset, like how can we make the system better? So, you know, and, and I think that's important in product management as well, because we are cross-functional. We should be looking across the company and kind of optimizing things where, where possible. Um, and uh, around 2009, 2010, uh, again, this goes back to my time at Informatica, we had a big all hands product, all hands meeting and all the product managers from everywhere came and we're going to do a state of the product kind of uh, internal uh, forum. And uh, for two days, essentially we were meeting and every product manager was presenting, you know, their product. And, and what I, I noticed after two days was every single product manager viewed their product differently, presented it differently, focused on different things 
and it was very difficult, even though we all worked in the same company. In fact, we worked on very similar types of products. Uh, we didn't all speak the same language. You know, we didn't measure things the same way. We didn't value things the same way. And so it made it very difficult to, to, uh, to kind of compare even like, okay, how's this product doing? How's that product doing? I mean, the only commonality you could think of might be revenue or something, but in some cases with other stage products, revenue wasn't the big goal, right? It was customer position or something. And so at the end of it, there was a bit of a retrospective and our GM sort of asked, you know, uh, any, any thoughts or comments, anything we could do better next time, you know, that kind of stuff. And I put up my hand and I said, well, yeah, one thing I noticed is that, you know, we all, we all looked at everything differently and spoke about things differently and, It'd be great if we could kind of figure out a way to kind of come up with a standard definition of what state of the product is. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Saeed, why don't you work on it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. You know, <laughs> in my big mouth. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but the thing is, I, I actually felt it was important. I really was like, yeah, you know what? I'll work on it and I'll see what I can do. And, you know, maybe next year we'll, we'll, we'll have a common way of talking about it. And so I spent a bunch of time thinking about it. And I talked to a few people, but I did some research. And back then there was nothing uh, on metrics except for pirate metrics, which had come out a few years earlier. But pirate metrics is really funnel metrics, right? It, it's mm-hmm. really fundamentally what, what, what it talks about. And, and I was trying to think of something a little more holistic because understanding your funnel doesn't really tell you what the state of your product is. Yep. And so I, I came with a framework and I blogged about it back then. And, uh, uh, it's it's it, it turned into what I call today product lifecycle metrics, and fundamentally, all it all all it means is that depending on the stage of life cycle of your product, whether you're in early stage or you know growth stage, etc., um, you will your your objectives will be different, right? So I have this mantra that I use. So you know, I always ask people, what are the stages in the product lifecycle, and 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 people always stumble, like, uh, build and grow and end of life, <laughs> you know. And I say, yeah, and, and the reason you don't know about it is because you never have to think about it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? And, 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 but the product life cycle is important. Just it's the objectives of each stage that are important. And so I have this mantra that I use. It's called build it, nail it, scale it, extend it, milk it, end it. Okay. And I guarantee you, if you say that three times to yourself, you will, you will not forget it. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, when you're building something, you're focusing on product, let's say, and maybe a bit of go-to-market or a bit of business, maybe more than go-to-market. When you're, you're, you're trying to nail it, which means you're you know, trying to get product market fit and you're trying to really understand the dynamics of the use cases, then you have a different focus. When you're scaling, you have a different focus. When you're extending into new markets and new, new use cases, you have a different focus and different objectives. And so, so th- that, that was fundamental to why we were uh, talking in, in different terms in the company because we had different products at different stages of the life cycle. And then I thought, okay, what are the, what are the characteristics? Like what are the things that are common though across each stage? So I don't have to go at every stage, everything's different. And so I thought, you know, well, obviously business objectives are common in the sense that I always have some kind of business objectives, some kind of go to market will always be there. Some kind of product, obviously, you know, focus at every stage and, and also some kind of organizational alignment, right? I, you know, as I go forward, I definitely need more of that. And so then I just worked out a model and I said, yeah, this makes sense. And I defined some metrics and I started using it internally and, you know, trying to evangelize it. And uh, I'll be honest, it wasn't very successful internally, but then I started blogging about it and I started getting a lot of feedback from people that, oh, this is really cool. You know, this, this still helped me. And I, I've had some one-on-ones with people on it. I 
talked about in various product camps. And so that, that, that's what I call product life cycle metrics, which is really, it's a, it's a standard framework to think about the health and state of any product at any stage of life cycle. Mm-hmm. And so, so I, in fact, I just did a, a, a workshop yesterday here in Toronto and that was one of the topics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so it was really interesting to get that feedback on, okay, how you would apply it. And we had people from different types of companies. Um, so that's one uh, process metrics are, 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 are another area. And I think, you know, when we think of any kind of process and, and process metrics are not something new in general, right? They've been around for a long time. Um, but I think, we should be applying them to our own processes. So, you know, I ask people, hey, of all the processes you work in, which one is the most effective, most well-defined? And, and if I'm talking to product people, uh, the answer is, oh, the agile process. And, and I say, well, why, <laughs> why do you think that is? And people hum and ha and oh, I you know, because engineering demands, I go, yes, because it's not even your process. <laughs> right? you're, you're, you're an actor in someone else's process and they've defined what should be done. And so my next question is, why can't we do that to our processes, you know, discovery mm-hmm. processes or planning processes or launch or other things. Um, and I think that's, that's an area of maturity that really has to happen. So uh, I really just put some focus there and said, okay, how can we think about our processes? How can we come up with success metrics to measure them? Mm-hmm. And then how can we improve them over time? And, and, you know, that, that I, I mentioned manufacturing software earlier, like continuous improvement is just, core core to the culture yeah. of manufacturing yeah. and and so and you know that that opened my eyes as well when i did some of that yeah. work that yeah why can't we're manufacturing we're we're in effect manufacturers of something right or yes. something is physical goods mm-hmm. but why can't we be doing the same thing so that's another area i've started focusing on and trying to sort of evangelize have and people also, um, sorry before you go on to the next one yeah. have uh what kind of response do you get to that to people <clears throat> do a decent amount of people kind of go, oh, yeah, we should be doing that? Or they kind of like, huh, that's interesting, and I'm going to go back to focusing on Scrum. <laughs> like, what do you get? <laughs> so so that's, a, that's actually a good question. So uh, one, of the, one of the comments yesterday was that, uh, that one of the companies, they, they're heavily invested in SAFE, right? So Scaled Agile Framework. Uh-huh. And so that is a very... I don't know if it's heavyweight, but it's a very structured process and it's kind of, it was imposed on the company or the management imposed it on, on the, on the product development folks. Um, but it, it, it talks nothing about product management, really. It's really about the developer side. And yes. Product yeah. managers are our actors in that. Um, and so, you know, the, the person said that this was interesting. They would think about it, but a lot of their time is consumed with this other work. And, and, and I understand that. So I think, I think it's a maturity uh, aspect that we have to take on ourselves as product leaders. And I think that people will start understanding it because, yeah, hey, we've got that build process down pat. We can build things really efficiently. Now the question is, can we figure out what to build efficiently, right? Can Absolutely. we take what we built and take it to market efficiently? Once it's in the market, can we manage it efficiently, mm-hmm. right? And right now, most of that other stuff, aside from the build, is ad hoc, you know, or slightly better than ad hoc. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some there's some frameworks and processes that I see in different places um, because I have a process focus, and I'm so I, I seek them out, and I check out what's happening. But uh, But I, you know, I think on the whole, it's, 
not well adopted yet, right? So in most places, it's just, it's ad hoc. Yeah, I, I use the term heroics. A lot of times in companies, it's, it's you know, success comes through heroics, right? Mm-hmm. People just stepping up and going that extra mile or whatever, you know, kind of euphemism you want to use. But, uh, and, but if they leave or something changes, things don't continue in, in the way you want. Yeah, very much. Um, one other thing I want to just share there is um, you mentioned that continuous improvement is a big part of, of manufacturing. Um, and a lot of times I think about how uh, manufacturing was one of the big developments of the 20th century. You know, we, the business world spent a lot of time figuring out how to get it right. Um, when I went to school, I studied chemical engineering. And one of the things that we studied, uh, we definitely studied process engineering, but there's a concept called um, control and mm-hmm. um, control processes that are, um, you know, meant to guide things back towards the place you want them and identify if your, you know, your plant is about to explode and <laughs> switch yeah. it back into the mode where it does not explode. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's actually something that I think about with respect to product discovery, because I think, yeah. um, you know, how do we make sure that there's a control built into the process that, that we're making sure that it's, um, uh, going to identify if it's going to be a big crash <laughs> and uh, bring it back to, uh, you know, the growth mode instead. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think the only, the only uh, one, one of the reasons, though, you know, in manufacturing, you have a physical plant and physical systems and, you know, physical risks. Right? Yeah. Is, is something going to explode or something, you know, harm going to happen to people or, or physical property? And, uh, you know, on that level, we don't have those kinds of risks in in software. Uh, there's other risks, but I think people tend to downplay them because they don't manifest themselves in that way, right? So I, I'll take I'll take this back analogy. So back with the data validation you know, sort of uh, world, in the early days, a number of our customers were very interested in our product because they'd had some kind of data breach or data anomaly that their manual system didn't catch. And then they found out months later and the cost to fix it was large. And they said, Oh, we've got to do it. Right. It's the same way that a lot of security software is sold today, you know, yep. <laughs> things are good until there's a breach. Oh my God, we need to get something. Yep. Um, I think, I think that's kind of the, the model that uh, a lot of software processes are in, which is that, well, things are going good until they're not going good. And then we have to figure out how to fix them as opposed to being proactive and saying, let's, let's get ahead of the curve and let's make sure that what we're doing is, is not going to end up there. And, 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 yeah. and, and the other thing is I think those kind of problems um, don't manifest themselves in the same way. So if you have a data breach, you're in the news. If you have an explosion, you're in the news. Yep. If you have some internal process that, you know, failed, Okay, you might get grief from your management, but it's not getting out into the world. Absolutely. So I think I think those are some of the reasons why people aren't paying as much attention to it because nobody wants to be in the news. And if there's no risk of being in the news, well then Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're very right. It's true. It doesn't seem uh it, it's never as immediate or scary, right? The the yeah. things that can go wrong with um, our software products. But the consequences can be huge, right? And like I mean, I'll use an extreme example, but you know, look at what's happening with Apple and the iPhone, right? So Apple's phenomenal company, phenomenal company. I mean, you can't deny the things that they've done. And the iPhone is the most successful kind of technology product ever. 
And yet, 10 years after its introduction, roughly, things have, have not gone the way Apple would have wanted. And, you know, now they're in the news. Mm-hmm. Some people might internally might have looked back and go, wow, you know, after when the iPhone 7 came out, we saw these signs, but we didn't pay attention to them or we ignored them intentionally. Yep. Uh, and, and I think, you know, until it becomes a problem, until, you know, your stock drops and all these other things happen, then suddenly things will change. And I, and I don't know, you probably heard the news that they're going to come out, Apple's going to come out with a bunch of new phones later this year. And one of the things that they had said is, oh, they're going to play catch up with their cameras and other things. And I expect the specs on these new iPhones will be phenomenal mm-hmm. compared to what they've been releasing over the past few years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think that's just an indicator of, hey, internally, whatever process they're using to make decisions and figure things out and pre- predict what's going to happen in the market fundamentally uh, stopped working. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'm interested in seeing what happens with Apple, but but that's the rare case of mm-hmm. things getting so bad that they get out of the news. Otherwise, you know, yeah, you have an example like the fire phone, you know, the Amazon fire phone. Oh yeah. Yeah. I like that example a lot. Phenomenal failure as well. But yep. You get some of those public failures, but yeah. uh, a lot of the things that happen aren't so grand. No, um, for sure. Yeah. Um, so then the last metric that you, uh, that, you had talked about was people metrics. What, is, yeah. what does that mean to you? So there's two aspects to it, right? And, and, and this is, again, it's a, a place where things with product roles, I think, are, are different than with other roles in company. Not that we're unique in any way, but that, for example, when we think of how we hire for certain roles, so when you think of sales, right, sales is, all, like, in a way, it's almost the easiest one because you want people who can sell, who can make or exceed quota, you know, they have certain skill sets, but, but there's still, you know, it's not just you hire anybody, right? There's certain skill sets that they look for and then they can measure them. And, you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you're not selling after two quarters or whatever your, your, your sort of uh, ramp up time is, um, it's mm-hmm. easy to understand that. And then you can either address it or you can, you know, move them and replace them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, engineering again, like there's some hard skills that, you look for and there's some ways to measure output and, and, and product productivity and things like that with product roles. It, it's, it's a mess. Right. First of all, <laughs> yep. roles are not even well understood, let alone yep. defined well, let alone hired for properly. Um, the, there's a broad range of hard and soft skills that are really necessary for success. Uh, it's hard to find those people. So then we go through, sort of alternative means to kind of hire product people. And maybe you start with the hard skills, you know, are they technical? Are they, you know, do they have a certain amount of domain knowledge? You know, can they, can they do certain things? And then, and then, and, and that's okay. Cause you're trying to mitigate for, for a difficult situation. But then the question is, how do you measure the gaps and how do you work to improve those people in a, in a meaningful way? And it's not just the individual, but it's the combination of those individuals on the team. So, you you know, people talk about, oh, if I could hire someone who has domain knowledge and technical skills and can speak and communicate and lead and who can work cross-functionally, you know, and who understands design and this, and you know, all these all these attributes, you know. And I, I once talked about that and someone goes, yeah, we just need like a unicorn, right? Like, yeah. Um, and they realize, you know, yeah, maybe you can find one or two of those, but you you can't build teams based on that assumption. And, mm-hmm. and so how, how our jobs are defined at the mess, how our 
roles are, are implemented is a mess and how uh, things are measured is a mess because there's no single metric or simple set of metrics to use. Uh, and so what I've tried to do is think through that problem and say, okay, let's start with the definition of the roles. And if you ever see job descriptions on, you know, job sites, it's this ginormous long list of, you know, strategic this and analytic that and tactical this and, you know, works with this and executive. And I saw one yeah. job description, I actually used it in my, in my workshop and it's got this huge long list. And it's, it's so, I mean, it doesn't even fit on a slide, but the last line of the response of the, you know, requirements is, you know, and other duties as assigned. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's about 20 lines of stuff and other duties. It's like, what else is there? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and so I, I try and break down, okay, what are the skills you need for what types of roles? So if you're a technical product manager versus, you know, a, let's call it a business product manager versus a product marketer versus some other roles you might have, how do you break that down, right? And there's five, five main areas of, of, of uh, skills, right? So I think I mentioned them already. So business knowledge, technical knowledge, domain knowledge, systems ability, and leadership communication and soft skills. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of leave that last one a bit open because it can be quite broad. Mm -hmm. um, but different people need different levels of skill in that, right? So an entry-level yeah. person won't be as good on the leadership, but, you know, they might have the domain knowledge or technical knowledge, right? Someone else who's higher up may have more of the leadership skills, may not be as strong technically, actually, quite honestly. A technical product manager, you really want that technical ability and that, communication ability. So you can, you can use those five buckets and break it out and then measure very uh, discreetly on those five areas and then identify where action is needed to improve or someone wants to say be promoted or move forward in their career, how you can develop them and move them forward. And then you can assess the combination of that and look at a team. So if you have a product team, do you have gaps? You know, maybe you're really strong on technical knowledge and domain knowledge, but you really don't have that leadership uh, skill set mm -hmm. in your team. Maybe then you can decide how you can work on it. So it's really kind of a, a more analytic way of thinking about these jobs, given the diverse skill sets, and then measuring either on an individual level or on a team level, and then coming out with uh, actions to drive the outcomes you want for the, you know, sort of overall team. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. One of the things that you mentioned in there that I hear a lot is um, it's really hard to find the people we're looking for. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell us what kind of actions um, you uh, you often recommend or, or think are, um, you know, feasible for people to take when they once they've identified the gaps in their product management uh, team? Um, so, OK, so, so you're saying you have an existing staff of people and you've maybe done this assessment and then what do you do next? Yeah, um, I mean, whether you have an existing staff or not, I'm just wondering um, how often. I'm, I think, I guess, I'm I'm kind of wondering about build versus buy for the product managers. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, how often do you go and find them? How often do you train <laughs> them? What other things do you do? Yeah. Um, so, I, I think it's situational. I, I'm a big advocate of developing people. I've managed people. I manage, you know, good people. Uh, I've, a couple of times I met people who were strong in certain areas, but weak in others. And, and, you know, we're all learning. I'm learning. I, I look back at myself when I started product management and I, I kind of wonder how, how the heck did I even do the job back then? But so I, I'm a big advocate in developing people. And I think that a big challenge people have is that they haven't 
A, define the roles clearly, and they haven't defined the skill sets required for those roles, roles clearly. And so it's really hard for companies to then say, okay, we can then fill these gaps because they don't know what the exact gaps are. You know, yeah. Fred's a really nice guy. Fred works hard, but, you know, he's not really great at this. And, and, and that's kind of the level of assessment they have. And I think that once you do that and make that uh, assessment, it, it becomes very easy to say, oh, yeah, you know what? Fred needs some communication training. We can help Fred learn how to present that, and we can learn these things. And I'm, I'm using a very simple example, but mm-hmm. things are more complex. But, but if you haven't defined the jobs, if, it's, if the job is just a long laundry list of stuff to do, and yep. yes, you need an MBA and five years experience and, you know, blah, 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 you're never going to get to the point where you can take that and translate that into how do I develop people and move them forward? So I think that's that's the first step is really start with the fundamentals. Do you understand what these roles are? Do you understand what the skills are? And do you understand where your gaps are? And I think that's just that's just sort of basic stuff. You will do that in any role. If you think of engineering, right? Now there's hard skills there, so it's a lot easier to, to ascertain. But you know, if you have a back-end developer who understands databases and servers and you know whatever they need to understand, and you, you need to sort of develop them into some other role. Oh, yeah, well, they need some front-end JavaScript knowledge. They need this, and they need to figure this out, and they need to understand this. You can, you can work that through because it's very discreet and it's very tangible. So, you know, the, the, the process of analysis is not new, but it's how do you make those definitions? And so, again, you know, this people metrics concept um, – I've kind of broken it out those five skills areas and we, we go through some exercises to do a self-assessment, say, okay, what, where do I, what's the requirement? So first of all, let's define the job. What are the skills in each of those five areas that are important? What's the self-assessment that I can do in those areas? And, you know, you're honest with yourself. Yeah, maybe I'm not a great communicator. Maybe I don't have certain financial background that I need to understand my product. Um, and, but then you can also do a manager assessment. You can compare, right? Cause sometimes, sometimes we have a higher, sort of impression of our skills versus what our manager thinks. And maybe your manager is wrong. Maybe I am right. I, I really have that. I've never had the chance to show it. So this kind of very discreet identification of skills leads to the conversations that can then identify action plans. And yeah. then, and then and, but it takes, I think it takes a, a really uh, ingrained culture in a company to say, Let's think about people in that way. And, and I'll just say, in my experience over 20 years, I've only worked in one or two companies where the, the management thought that way. Most of the yeah. time, oh, let's fill the gap. Let's find someone who has that skill. Let's hire them. Let's bring them in. They can lead the team or whatever, as opposed to let's take someone internally and yeah. make that person the leader. Yeah, absolutely. I see that too. Um, well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with, um, you know, either a startup founder looking to hire their first team or a product leader who's building out their team? Yeah, I, I think I think we have to get a, get away from. Uh, first of all, we talked about earlier. Let's get away from that build mindset. You know, you don't have to build everything right away. Um, let's slow things down a bit and really understand what's going on. I think that has, that's not just about pe- product, but it's also about people. And I think really if, if most companies and most companies I've worked in say this, that, you know, our biggest asset, are our employees, then live that, live that mantra and say, okay, I want to hire people or I need have, you know, gaps to fill, or I want to move my team forward. Really understand the skills your, your employees bring 
and, and figure out a way to develop them. And it may be hard initially because it's the first time through, but once you start doing that and you start seeing it and your employees start seeing that there's pathways forward, then they're going to, they're going to stick around and they're going to be vested in the company. And I think that aspect alone um, will bear fruit later on because you lose so much institutional knowledge. It's so easy to find another job these days. You know, I can work locally. I can work remotely. I can, you know, someone will poach me and give me a bit more money, but getting getting those people and keeping them institutional knowledge and then giving them the path forward and then making their lives easier by understanding process and making those processes clear will lead to great outcomes with product. I mean, it, it's, it's, it, it's, there's no other way that you're going to get it done, right? Just working harder isn't going to help. Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, is there a way that our listeners can find you if uh, they want to find out more? Absolutely. So uh, my company is called Transformation Labs. It's transformationlabs.io. They can also find me on Twitter, uh, Saeed W. Khan. uh, And uh, if you just search for Saeed Khan and product management on Google, I think I'm I'm the one who shows up first. Uh Uh-huh. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Saeed. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thank you very much, Holly. Thanks for inviting me. Product Science Podcast is brought to you by H2R Product Science. We teach startup founders and product leaders how to use the product science method to discover the strongest product opportunities and lay the foundations for high growth products, teams, and businesses. Learn more at h2rproductscience.com. Enjoying this episode? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. I also encourage you to visit us at productsciencepodcast.com to sign up for more information and resources from me and our guests. If you love the show, a rating and review would be greatly appreciated. Thank you.